And uh, it became a little more complicated than we thought it was going to be, so she's still there with her dad. And I think she's planning to come back on Tuesday, but we'll just have to see how all that goes. So we would appreciate your prayers uh, for her dad. He's 89 years old, and uh, so when you have surgery sometimes at that age, um, it just doesn't go quite like you're thinking it's going to go. And uh, so appreciate your prayers on that. So uh, the identity of the church in the world. Um, you know, it goes back to the cross. Uh, Jesus died on the cross, and the night before he did that, and we're going to celebrate communion in a few moments, the night before he did that, he gathered with his disciples, and then he, you know, he took the bread, he took the cup, he said, this represents my body and my blood that are going to die on the cross, but shed on the cross for you tomorrow. And then Jesus said that down through the history of the church, on a regular basis, Christians, when they gather together, are to remember the centrality of the cross by having communion. That's what the church's, the church's identity, its birth, comes out of the blood and the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. So, I want to start with this question. Then, why, what, did, what did Jesus die for on the cross? Now, that may seem like the most basic question you could ever ask to a group of Christian people. What did he die for on the cross? And, the, you know, the answer, well, one answer would be, well, he died on the cross so that we could all have forgiveness of our sins and go to heaven when we die. So, he died on the cross. We believe in him. We get forgiven of our sins, and when we die someday, we go to be with him in heaven. Now, and that's, that's a fine answer. It's okay. There's certainly truth there. But if that is all that the cross is about, if that's the, if that's the only reason Jesus died, then that leaves us with a, a very, very individualistic kind of salvation. Basically, I come to Jesus, I get my ticket to heaven, and, and I'm set. I'm okay. And that raises the question, if that's why he died on the cross, if that's what it's all about, then what really is the church all about? Why do I really need the church if I've already got my ticket to heaven? What do I need the church for? Well, that's our question this morning. And I'd like to suggest three reasons why we need the church, and we need it really, really bad. We need it desperately. And the first one is this, that Jesus died for the church. The scriptures say that. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, he was talking about husbands are supposed to love their wives, the degree to which husbands are supposed to love their wives. And he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't uh, talk about uh, love your wives, husbands like Romeo, love Juliet. He didn't say like uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart loved Lauren Bacall, okay? He didn't say that. He reached for some other example far beyond that. He said, husbands, love your wives just like Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, whenever you think of church, don't think of the building. He didn't die for a building. He died, the church is people. He died to, to bring us all together into a community, into a family. And then he, it says he died for her. He gave himself up for her. 
You know, the scriptures teach that Jesus looks upon the church as his bride. And so when Jesus went to the cross, the reason he was going to the cross, the reason he was able to endure all of the horrible pain and suffering there was because he had deep in his soul, deeper than all the pain he was going to face, he had such a deep love. He had the excitement of a husband who loves his wife and would do anything in the world, in the universe for her. That's what the cross is about. It's about Jesus Christ like a husband, loving his bride, loving the church. And so and, and, and he died then. He didn't die, he didn't die just to give us all like an individualistic kind of salvation where we get saved and we just go live the rest of our lives in some sort of an isolated individualistic kind of way. That's, that's absolutely not what the cross is about. Jesus died to form a community. When he was on that cross, his vision was, I see church families coming together who are, who are going to be bonded together with a love so deep. It's a love like the world has never, ever, ever experienced, never seen before. And when the world looks at my new community that I'm creating, they're going to step back and say, wow, I need that. I need that. And so, here's a couple implications of that for us to think about. This means that Jesus considers to be very, very precious what is happening here every Sunday when we get together. Uh, From the beginning, Christians have set Sunday aside as sort of the anchor day when they come together, when they gather together. Uh, this began right, way back, right at, it began at the very beginning of the church. From the very beginning, the New Testament itself refers to Sunday as the Lord's Day. And they, they did that because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Now, all of these first Christians, they were Jewish people. And for centuries and centuries, they had gone, they had come and wor- they had gathered to worship God, not on Sunday. They gathered on the Sabbath day, the seventh day of the week on, on the Sabbath. But when Jesus came and they received him as their Messiah, and Jesus rose on the first day of the week, they decided, man, the appropriate gathering time for us, let's come together on the first day of the week. Because when we do that, what, we're, we're just remembering, we're re-celebrating the resurrection and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is at the very center of our existence as a community. But, you know, there's something else the Lord's Day. Every time we come together on a Sunday, there's something else that we're, we're looking forward to. Because at the end of history is the ultimate Lord's Day, when Jesus Christ comes again. And on the day when Jesus Christ comes again, at the end of history, he's going to gather together his family, his community, from all the four corners of the world. And he's going to bring us into that brand new restored earth, that great glorious kingdom that the Bible promises is still yet to come. So when we come like we are today, what we're doing is we are, we're just practicing for that final great Lord's Day that's going to come. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Just a couple verses that show how prominent this was in the New Testament. On the first day of the week, Paul says, we came together to break bread. Now, if you read the rest of that, Paul goes on to describe in the next few verses uh, one of their worship gatherings on a Sunday. 
And it says that, uh, actually, it says that he preached the longest sermon in the history of the world. He preached so long. He preached till midnight, it says. And there was one guy named Eutychus. He was sitting in the windowsill. He fell asleep. He fell out the window. He fell a couple stories, and he died. Uh, Paul had to go down there, and uh, they prayed, and God, graciously, God restored him. But, uh, you know, I don't think in all the years I've ever been preaching, I don't think I've ever seen anyone fall asleep on me. Do you believe that? <laughs> uh, it, it may have happened. I hope it doesn't happen today. All right. Uh, but I won't keep you here till midnight. I promise that. All right. Anyway, First uh, Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Paul's talking about uh, the coming together on the first day of the week like all the churches do. And here he's talking about you come and bring your offering on the first day of the week. So this was when churches gathered. There was an ancient document called the Didache, written A.D. 70 to 100, that says this. These were just instructions for Christ followers. It says, every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together, break bread, and give thanksgiving. So here's the question I'm leading up to. Here's a question for us American Christians. Does the Lord's Day still have the importance that those first Christians gave it when every Sunday rolled around and they were just excited about coming and meeting in the presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Would you say if we evaluated where America's at today in terms of being excited and being faithful and, and disciplined and diligent about coming together on the Lord's Day, do we still have the same excitement? It's a good question. Here's something I think that can help with that. Whenever we think about coming to church on the Lord's Day, it might help if we remember that Jesus paid the price of his blood to bring us together on the Lord's Day. He, he paid the price of his blood for us to, to be gathered together. That's how important it is to him. Acts 20 verse 28 says this, guard yourselves and God's people. Feed the flock and shepherd God's flock, the church. And then listen to this phrase, that was purchased with his own blood. The church was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord's Day is not the only uh, time when the early Christians gathered, and it's not the only time we gather. So this applies to small groups. Whenever, you, whenever your small group gathering time rolls around, remember Jesus Christ paid the price of his blood to give you and I the opportunity to get close up with a circle of Christians so that we can grow and really learn to be the kind of church that weeps with those that weeps and rejoices with those that rejoices, the kind of church that really grows together, the kind of church that really, really, really is a family. He died to give us that opportunity. He shed his blood. When it comes to getting your kids involved in the groups we have for them, the price tag on those opportunities, it was the blood of Jesus Christ that flowed down off of that cross that gives us the opportunity to participate and do all the things that God has called us to do as a church family. And that's really ultimately why we do it. Christ called us to, and he paid the price for it. Now, there's a second reason that I believe the church is really, really important, and that is this, that... Uh, your brothers and sisters need you. He, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says it this way. 
let us consider how we can spur each other on to love, keep the flame of love growing. We do that for one another. If we separate ourselves from the church, I guarantee you, if we isolate and separate ourselves from the church, I guarantee the flame of your devotion to Christ will start to go out. Absolutely true. It will. We need each other. Hebrews chapter 25 says to spur each other onto good works, onto the mission, onto doing what God has put us on the earth to do as a church. And then verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as many are in the habit of doing. But as that day of the Lord gets nearer and nearer, all the more we keep coming together on the Lord's day every seven days. And here's why. So that we can encourage one another. You know, uh, in this, this is the kind of world that beats us up. When, we, when we're out there slugging it out, Monday through Saturday, um, courage, our courage can take a big beating. Our faith can take a pounding. Um, I watched uh, the movie uh, Lone Survivor. In fact, I think I've seen it three times um, because I think it's such a great story. I don't know if you've seen, of it, seen it or not. But it's about those four Navy SEALs, true story, that went into Afghanistan on a special ops reconnaissance mission. Everything just turned out really bad. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. And I'm not going to just, you know, mess it up for you here, but if you haven't seen it. But, but here's a couple statements that came out of that movie. One of them is this, about these Navy SEALs. They are brothers that never leave you alone. These guys were tight. These guys would die for each other. Every one of those guys knew, I'm here because the other three need me. And there's another statement. We are never stronger than we stand together as one. True of the Navy SEALs, and it's a million times more true of the church of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is this. Paul gave it to us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Remember, we're in, we're in hand-to-hand combat here. Uh, there is a terrorist organization far worse than ISIS that has targeted every one of your brothers and sisters here in this room this morning and every one of our young people and children, including the nursery, downstairs this morning. There is a terrorist organization led by one that Jesus called Satan. And he has targeted every one of us. He wants to take us out. He wants to destroy our lives. He wants to destroy our families. He wants your children to be taken out of your arms and into his arms. He has every intent. And Satan has not taken a vacation. Satan has not given up on his diabolical destructive goals for you and your loved ones. He never will give up until the day when God finally deals him his final blow. We need each other. We need the encouragement of each other. We dare not let our faith start to diminish. We don't dare to let the flame of our devotion to Christ start to to go out. And when we come together, 
what we are doing is we are encouraging. We are restoring each other's courage. Uh, so we need each other. And, and one of the things I find is this, that I get encouraged when I encourage others. So we are strong as a church when we stand together as one. Now, there's a third reason that we come together as a church, and that's this. Jesus died for all of the people of the world to show us how to die for all of the people of the world, too. And so Jesus is not the only one. Jesus, Jesus died for all the people of the world. He's the one who provides the forgiveness, the way, in, the way of salvation. But then Jesus turned right around to his church and said, hey, guys, I'm not the only one going to the cross here. The moment you receive me, the moment you invite me into your life, take up your cross. You pick up a cross now, and you follow me. What was he talking about? He said it this way in John 15, 3. Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down their life for their friends, that a person will lay down their life for others. We are called upon as Christians. Our mission is to pour out our hearts and lives for the people of this world in which we live. That means when I go to work tomorrow, well, I'm going to work, okay. I'm pouring my life out for people here within the walls of this church. But when I go to Starbucks, I'm guaranteed I'll be at Starbucks this week. My, my, my mission at Starbucks is not just to drink coffee, okay. My mission at Starbucks, it's a, it's a, it's a village thoroughfare. It's an opportunity to meet people and talk and visit. I'm there because... Ultimately, everywhere I go, and it's the same th for you and I at work, wherever you are, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. We're there for the people of, who live around us and the people that we meet day by day to pour our lives out in serving them and influencing them and caring for them, taking the love of Christ outside the walls of the church. Um, you know, every, every time we meet a person, there's a, that, we're going to get a certain vibe from that person, Right? Sort of a, a first impression. That's true, I think, every time we meet any other person. And either the vibe can be a good one, or the vibe can be not so good, right? Okay, now, so what is the vibe that the church, that we as Christians, what is our vibe in the world to be? Well, our vibe in the world is to be the same love that Jesus has for the world is the love that we have for the world. But you know what? There are really three choices we, we, the church has, we Christians have, for, for a vibe in the world. The first choice is this. We can, we can give off a judgmental vibe. We could do that. And in fact, sometimes, isn't it true? I mean, sadly, uh, the church, a lot of times when there's surveys, Gallup poll, and all those kinds of things, and they take a Gallup poll of the country, and they ask, hey, what do you think of the church? What is one of the things that always pops up right at the top of the list? It's so judgmental. Uh, that's sort of a tragedy, isn't it? That's not the vibe that Jesus gave off the cross. <laughs> he prayed for those that were putting him there. Uh, 
Or we can give off the vibe of just being sort of indifferent. I mean, we have salvation. We have a good thing going inside the walls of the church. I have my ticket to heaven. I'm on my way there. Well, I'm good, so I don't care that much about you. Now, we don't say that, but, but that could be sort of an attitude that that can be a vibe that we give off. So what would be our vibe? Well, our vibe, I think the vibe we want people around us, whoever they are, wherever they are, we want them to, to feel this about us. Man, that guy does really care about me. He really does care. He's, he's genuine. He's authentic. And I, I feel safe. I feel welcomed. I feel accepted by that person. And when the church has that vibe in the world, then there's, Jesus said, when, the, when I am lifted up, I will begin to draw, I'll begin to draw people toward myself. And uh, so we need to lift up the vibe of Jesus Christ from the cross. It needs to be the vibe that we're lifting up in our world. Uh, he died to give us a job to do. And you know, Jesus, um, he, you know, there's an inaccuracy in that statement that uh, Jesus died, I got my salvation ticket so that when I die, I can go to heaven. Well, there's something big before the going to heaven part, the going to heaven part. And that is this, Jesus didn't just die so we could get saved and go to heaven. He died so that we would get saved. And instead of going to heaven right away, we would bring heaven into this world take the kingdom into the nations of the world, to our neighbors, to our friends. That's our mission right now, before the day when Jesus comes to receive us again. Now, as I come to the final part of this message before we come to communion, I just have this question I want to ask. Why do Christians sometimes drift or disconnect from the church. Why does that happen? Well, I'm going to share some things that I've observed. One, I believe, would be this, and that's what I just was talking about here, this, this individual faith focus, uh, that salvation is sort of an individualistic thing for me. I know I love Jesus. I know I'm saved. Uh, so I don't really have to be that faithful to the gathering, to the community, because I know I'm all right. Uh, but that's, that is a failure to realize the high price that Jesus paid on the cross, not for an individualistic kind of Christianity. He died for a community kind of Christianity. He died for a church. He died for a church family. Secondly, another reason would be that we forget that we have this deep responsibility to one another as family. But you might say, well, you know what? If I don't show up at church or if I don't show up in my small group, I mean, they won't miss me. Hey, yeah, they will. <laughs> they will. And now, again, you've heard me say before, I'm all for vacations. I, no, yes, I understand. If you're sick, can't make it, totally understand. If, you, if, you have a, if your job keeps you away from church once in a while, that's understood. The Lord understands that. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a casual, take-it-or-leave-it kind of attitude toward, uh, I, uh, I feel like, well, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired today. I think I'll just, uh, I'm going to sleep in today. 
You know, you see what I'm saying here today? I'm, I'm talking about a casual kind of attitude that creeps into our hearts about being present at church, being present at small group, having my children present at youth group. This goes all the way down the line, guys. Um, there's a responsibility. We have a responsibility. Because when I go there, I'm, I'm encouraging other people simply by the gift of my presence or maybe a word of encouragement that I share. The third one is this. Uh, this, this one is a big one that keeps people from church. And, and, and it, it's the word discouragement. And like I said a minute ago, we get beat up in this world. We get pounded. And sometimes when you're pounded and you're covered with wounds, you just don't have any energy. You don't feel like being part of a church. You don't feel like being with people. I just want to say something really kindly into that this morning is uh, isolation, isolation in the midst of our wounds will, fin- will finish us off. We need each other. And we want to have a church that's safe, a safe place to come, no matter what's going on in our lives. And we, we're, we're, we're people that care about us and will encourage and strengthen us. So... Uh, I think there's a fourth reason. That is uh, being hurt or offended by someone in the church. Uh, and, you know, that brings us back to the reality that a church is a place with flawed people. We all have, you know, we all haven't arrived at perfection yet. None of us have arrived at perfection yet. Uh, and so that means that wherever we're gathered together as a church, once in a while, yeah, somebody may say something, or it, it can be intentional. Boy, that's, that's not good, but it does happen in churches. Uh, because you know what? We still have a fallen nature that's messing us up some. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully, as we grow in grace together, churches become, uh, churches become the greatest places of apology and asking for forgiveness on the planet. And we can model that for the rest of the world, that we know how to forgive. And we know how to work together and learn to grow together. Uh, so don't let a wound that someone has inflicted upon you, even inside the walls of a church, drive you away from, from the church. Jesus died for the church. And Jesus died for a church that he knew was going to be filled with flawed people, but he didn't stop loving that church. And neither should we. And then another reason... Uh, number five. Uh, this, uh, you know what? This is a strange one. This, uh, this not nece- does not necessarily keep people outside the walls of the church, but it does separate them from within the walls of the church. Let me say, explain. Okay, it's getting a critiquing attitude. Now, I had a, I had a dose of this a couple times in my life, when. I would come to church and spend most of my time critiquing what was going on. <laughs> uh, and both of those times happened to coincide with when I was in undergraduate school studying for the ministry. And then, when I, and then a few years later when I went to graduate school and I was studying more about the ministry. And so I would sit in all these, church, uh, all these classes with all these great professors and everything, and they were talking about the idealistic, you know, the, the ideal church. 
and you know, the, the way a church should be, and you read it in the textbooks and all those kinds of things. But then I would go straight from there, and I would walk back into the real church, okay? Uh, and, uh, and then when I would sit in services during those, during those school years, I found myself with a spirit of criticism. Well, that's not, okay, man, this church, these guys do not measure up to the textbook. They, this is not what we talked about in, you know, church procedure class the other day. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, so, and there are people, there are, and this spirit can get into people who've, who've been in Christianity a long, long time and have seen it all and know it all. Pretty soon we can find ourselves spending more time when we're sitting in church instead of really engaged with an open heart, seeking God, worshiping God. We can find ourselves basically spending our time critiquing the service. Uh, and I hope that God can deliver us from that spirit because I, I've had it. I, know it. I know what it is. It's not pleasant because you leave. Every time you leave church, you don't leave with the joy of Christ in your heart. You leave thinking of, oh, man. Ah, why? Why did he do that? What did he say that? Oh, come on. You know, well, that's not church. That's not the way it's going to be, folks. God, Christ calls us to something more than that. And then here's another one. Uh, letting other interests such as leisure or pleasure on the Lord's Day. I mean, there's other things we can go and find very pleasurable on a beautiful Sunday morning like this. I mean, it's sun shining. I worked all week. I worked hard all week. I would like to go off and get on my boat today. I think I'll go and golf today. I think I'll go and do this. And there's nothing wrong with getting on your boat. There's nothing wrong with golfing. Absolutely. Again, I'm all, I'm all for vacations. Everybody needs a break once in a while. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm saying this. When the golf course starts to take over from the Sunday morning gathering, when the boat starts to take over from Sunday gathering, when, the, when all, any of these things start to pull me aside and, and lessen my priority for the church for which Jesus shed his blood, there is a problem. There's a problem. Uh, and then the final one is this. It would be uh, not getting plugged in, uh, just sitting in church. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, anytime if you, I, I would say that probably if, Anytime I just sit somewhere and sit and sit and sit, eventually I'm going to get bored. Uh, because you can only sit so long before I need, some, I need to do something here. Uh, and I think it's the same way in church. So getting plugged in, taking the step to get into the life of the church, into a small group. In, because when you get into a small group, you're, you're going to get into serving. You're going to be serving the other people in that group. You're going to be lifting them up, carrying them, praying with them. And you're going to begin to care, carry their burdens with you during the week. And they're going to start carrying your burden. That's serving. That's what we're called to be and do as a church. And then let it spill out into the world around us. So, uh, before we come to communion this morning, here is a commitment question. Jesus died for the church. The church is precious to him. Is the church precious to you? Is the church precious to me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that on the cross, 
you died for the church, your bride. And Lord Jesus, we are grateful for what you have done. We are grateful for, your, for pouring out your blood to redeem the world and, and that we have come to know you from the world, Lord. And you formed us into this wonderful family that we call the church, your family. So, Lord, I pray that you will strengthen our commitment, Lord, and help us, Lord, to come back to our roots, the roots of our identity as a church, in the cross, in the sacrifice that Jesus poured out upon that cross to let us be what we experience right here in this room today, one another, caring for each other, loving one another. And, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that uh, you will give us a love for one another that also extends right out into our world, a love for the people that we're with day by day, week by week, meeting them at work, wherever we meet them. And, Lord, we give you thanks. We pray as we come to communion now, Lord, that, you will, that this will be a sacred moment when we, when we experience the very presence of the risen Christ on this Lord's day. Just a little taste of what is going to be experienced when we come to that final Lord's Day. So, Father, bless these next moments of communion. And we pray these things in Jesus' great and mighty name. Amen.